Yeah, Father, we thank you this morning um, that there is nowhere better for us to be, there's nowhere safer for us to be than in Christ. We thank you that, Jesus, you died uh, for this very purpose. Above all else, all the benefits of forgiveness, grace, adoption, sanctification, um, all those things, they are found in you, in Christ. And so, Lord, I, I pray that this morning as we open your word and as we continue to worship our way through it, I, I just pray that you would make that reality that is said again and again and again and again in your word, I pray that you would help us to truly receive it by faith. That we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Mysterious as that may be to our little minds, it is the reality. And Jesus, we thank you that um, your blood is enough. It's enough for every, for every sin, for every hurt, for every pain that's represented here this morning. Pray that all those things this morning would be brought under the blood of Christ and under the authority of our risen Savior. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Hey, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, and get there in a hurry because for the sake of time, we're going to uh, jump right in and I'm going to read all 20 verses here, uh, which is a good chunk to cover. Um, this is where we're at in our Bible reading plan. Uh, now that we're back in the Bible reading plan and out of the doctrinal series as we were this past summer, um, have to kind of choose every week uh, whether or not to just do a portion of the passage that we've been reading or to do all of it. Today I do want to cover all of it, although I just want to hit on a couple big ideas that we'll see uh, in, these, in these 20 verses. Um, and so let me jump right in and read it for us so we can get going. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we may, might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Let's pray one more time. Father, please open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. Uh, We thank you that you wrote a book for us. Um, And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us this morning to help us understand it. And not just understand it, but to believe it. And to appropriate it to our lives. Um, So please help us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So... How many of you are huggers? Anybody? Just a hugger. Okay. How many of you are not huggers? Fifty-fifty. <laughs> it's good. Quick straw poll. Um, how many of you have ever seen someone who's not a hugger get hugged by a hugger? <laughs> Anybody? Or maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're on the hugging side and the person you're giving to isn't, isn't a hugger, or maybe you're not the hugger and you're being hugged by a hugger, or you've just watched that thing unfold, you know. Um, <coughs> it can be kind of awkward. Um, and I, I, I say that because uh, that's the picture that I've had in my mind all week as I've been marinating in this text, is that Paul here is a hugger. And he's, and he's just coming for the Thessalonians. Now, but, but I want to be clear is that I don't think the Thessalonians are the ones that kind of stand there like this when they're being hugged by, by the hugger. But I feel like that's us. Like I feel like even just in reading some of the things, if, if you caught this, and we're going to go back through it slower so that we will, that there, there are some words and some language and some affection that Paul expresses for them here that is almost a little bit awkward for us in the display of, of, his, of his love here. Um, and I want us, as we're going through this this morning, to be thinking about not just our own lives, but the culture of our church is I want us to be a hugging church. And I don't mean literally, like you literally have to hug. So for those of you that are not huggers, oh, take a deep breath. That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm going for this morning. But just in kind of the disposition of our hearts, that the type of love and affection that Paul expresses here for the Thessalonian church, I, I do want that disposition of heart, that attitude of heart to be among us. Um, I want us to have a heart and however it might be expressed, maybe it isn't a hug, maybe, maybe it's not, but that when people come in among us that they would know 
that they would know that they are loved. That they would know that they are loved. And, uh, and Paul models this in a, really good, in a really good way for us this morning. There's kind of three strands that, are, that I want to trace through the text. Um, and they are this. I want to look at the description of Paul's conduct, along with his co-workers, Sylvanus and Timothy. The description of, of, his, of their conduct among the Thessalonians. And then the source of their sincerity. And then the outcome of their ministry. The description of their conduct, the source of their sincerity, and then the outcome of their ministry. But in all of those things as we look at them, I want us to be thinking about what are the limits of our love and at the same time be thinking about the limitless love of Christ towards us. What are the limits of our love towards others? And also what is about the limitless love of Christ uh, towards, towards us? Because if Christ's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, and as we see expressed here by Paul and his apostolic co-workers to this church, then his love should not only be in us and to us, but it should be coming through us and out of us uh, for, his, for his honor and for his glory. First of all, let me just look at the description of their conduct here. And this is really, again, as I say description of their conduct, it's all love. Even though the word love is not stated here anywhere in this text, I'll admit that. But what you have is a description of love, of Paul's love towards the Thessalonian church. That is uh, a beautiful model and exhortation uh, to us in the way that we should be, that we should be living. Um, first of all, in the description of their conduct, and again, as an act of love, they were bold in declaring the gospel. They were bold in declaring the gospel. In verses 1 and 2, look at it. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, and we'll look at that here in just a second. As you know, here's the phrase, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. That for us as Christians, we have to remember that in any sort of humanitarian work that we do, and listen, we, we want to feed the hungry, we want to clothe those that don't have much clothing, we want to build homes for those that don't have homes, for those that are homeless, but in all those things, if we stop short of boldly declaring the gospel to people, then we have not loved them in the way that Christ has loved us. We must be bold in declaring the gospel. And if you'll understand the context here, and I want to go down into it a little bit, where Paul says in verse 2, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we still had boldness to declare the gospel, which was an act of love. In Acts chapter 16, we, we have um, the specific scenario that Paul is referring to here. Uh, in verse 2 when he says that they were shamefully treated at Philippi. Uh, Paul and his apostolic co-workers um, had rolled into Philippi because of a vision uh, that Paul had received. And this, this is kind of like new ground. The gospel has never been to this area before. And so uh, they heed the Macedonian call. Um, they kind of jump across the Aegean Sea, if you ever want to trace this out on the map. And they come to Philippi. And they've met Lydia and a few ladies who, who are, are God-fearers in a sense, but they don't, they don't know the living Christ 
Um, and so Paul shares at a Bible study with them. God opens Lydia's heart to get saved. Um, and then Paul is going around. He's continuing to uh, proclaim the gospel. And in Acts chapter 16, uh, in verse 16, it says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners gain by fortune telling. In other words, this is like a demonized girl who has this weird spirit that can kind of foretell the future and she's a slave and so uh, her slave owners are making money on her. It says she, and it's, it's kind of a funny situation when you, when you just stop and think about it. She followed us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So she's, she's demonized, okay, or we might say demon possessed, and they're going around trying to share the gospel, and she just follows them, just shouting <laughs> that these are servants telling you the way of salvation. Again, when Jesus showed up on the scene, uh, demons got it more than anybody else initially. They would come running and say, well, you know, what, what have we to do with you, son of the most high God? They knew who he was. It goes on in verse 18, it says, and she kept doing this for many days. So if you can imagine this for days, walking around, and she's just shouting. <coughs> and Paul and I appreciate this because, um, I don't know, maybe you felt this way before, but it's not, it doesn't sound that spiritual. It just says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed. <laughs> isn't, that a great, isn't that a great verse? Some of you are like, I'd like that to be my life verse, yes. Um, <clears throat> Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. Now listen to what happened. This is the part of being shamefully treated, as he mentioned in Thessalonians chapter two, verse two. It says, and the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them, and again, to what degree they were stripped, we don't know. And he gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. That is what Paul was referring to in Thessalonians here, when he says that they had been shamefully treated. So do you understand the love that this took to be treated like that in one place, to be, to be unfairly tried in kind of this kangaroo court, to be stripped of your garments, to be beaten with rods, with not just a few, but with many blows, and then to be thrown in prison? And we'll come back to the story a little bit later and we'll look at how they got out. I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with it. But then to eventually when they get out to go on to Thessalonica and here we go again. And again, if Paul had come in and if he had just been kind or if he had just shared some nice little you know, life improvement leadership principles or if he'd just been trying to, you know, to just love on them a little bit, although that's important and we're gonna, we're gonna look at that. Um, but if he just tried to like be their buddy, I don't know that he gets, that he gets beaten because again, the thing that always got him beaten, the thing that always got him in trouble was being bold in declaring the gospel. And brothers and sisters, I just want to remind us this morning, although I think we would all acknowledge it, but I would just challenge you to examine your own life. And for myself, this past week, I've been trying to examine my own life. If we stop short 
of sharing the gospel and calling people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, it is not Christian ministry and it is not love. We must be bold in our God to declare the gospel. But not only were they bold in declaring the gospel, it's one act of love, and, and here's where we see the hug of Paul coming and it begins to get a little bit awkward for us, but, but look at verses seven and eight. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse 8, so, and listen, listen to this, like who, who, who talks like this? Listen to this little phrase. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. Is that in this description of their conduct, and again, which is just simply practical love, they're bold in declaring the gospel, but they're also gentle, like a nursing mother. And again, I don't really need to come up with an illustration here. Paul gives us the illustration of what Christian love looks like. And there's something very, it's very simple, but it's very profound, and I'm going to be straight with you. I don't think we do this well. I don't think we do this well. And when I say we, I'm talking like church as a whole, like capital C church, the universal church, at least not in America, but even here at Mercy Hill. I think we do to a degree. I think it's, I, I hear compliments a lot actually from new people that come and they say how they felt very welcomed and they felt loved. So I'm not at all saying that we don't do this at all, but I'm saying it's something that we can definitely grow in. And I think that each one of us has, has limits to this in our heart. But if you'll just kind of sit with me in this metaphor or this picture that Paul puts out here about caring for them like a nursing mother cares for her child. A little baby that is nursing is, I mean, you don't get any more vulnerable than that. Amen? Like, they just, they can't do anything. They're just little balls of mush, right? Little baby, they're just mushy. And you can't, you know, they can't even sit up. You gotta hold their head, and, or they can't sit up. You gotta hold their head, and they're just flopping all around. Like, they can't do anything. I don't know there's a, that there's a picture of anything more vulnerable than that. But listen, I think this is what Paul is pressing at here, and I wanna try to show it to you from the text, and I'm not just, like, teasing this out and making this up, but... In order for a nursing mother to care for her vulnerable child, she must show a level of vulnerability herself. Are you with me? In order to share what she has, she must share a part of who she is in caring for the child. And, and the question is, is, is this imagery part of your vision for what it means to be mature in Christ. And again, not the actual act of, nur of nursing a baby, but in the way that we care for people. See, here, here, here's my prayer. I want to I press down into this a little bit, into this idea. Especially when you understand the context of Paul being beaten and shamefully treated in the city that he was just in. He was bold to come and share the gospel. That's amazing. 
but then to come and to share it with sincerity and with heartfelt affection, like a mother, like a nursing mother for a little child. That's a whole other thing. And, and, here's, and here's what I mean, folks. And I don't think this is just for Paul, although his circumstances were different. I don't think there's anybody here who's been imprisoned for their faith and who's been beaten with rods. But, but let me tell you what we do have. Is I think all of us could go around and tell our stories about how we have been hurt by other people and also hurt in church. Amen? Anybody? Are you with me? Okay. And I think that it becomes very easy, and I, and I guess I'm, I'm sharing something here that, like, please hear me. I, I have run into this in my own life. I continue to run into it, and I'm not in any way saying that I've overcome it. I'm just saying that the, the text has very much challenged me this past week, especially as a pastor. Because what I've found for me is that there's a way to do ministry where I say all the right things and what I'm saying is true, it's not wrong, and I'm sharing the gospel, but what I'm not doing is that latter part of verse eight, where I, where I share not only the gospel, not only the truth, but also my own self, my own life. And if you've been hurt in church, or if you've been hurt just by people in general, there's a way to go about this Christian life that can become very superficial. And it happens because of pain that we've received from other people. And listen, we're all in the same club here. We've all hurt other people, and we've all been hurt by other people. And yeah, the specifics are different, but we've all experienced it. And there's a way to go about this Christian life where we just begin to hold people out here. We, if, if I can go back to the hug picture for a little bit, as close as we get to people is fist bump. But we're not doing this. It's not, it's not a warm embrace. And, and here's what I simply want to say is that brothers and sisters, while I don't want to make light of, in fact, I want to acknowledge whatever hurt and pain you might have from people, individuals, or the church, and listen, we've all got it. This is what God calls us to. He calls us to love people in a way that requires vulnerability on our part just like a nursing mother is vulnerable with her baby because the baby itself is vulnerable and that's what they need. Are you following me? Um, again, there are, there are a million different scenarios in which this could play out, but this is how we're called to live and, and this needs to be part of our vision for discipleship. And what discipleship truly is, is that we share not only the gospel, but our own selves, or as other English translations put it, and I kind of like it a little bit better, our own lives with each other. It requires vulnerability. This wasn't just a thing Paul did in Thessalonica. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Paul says to the Corinthian church, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts to us also. What a beautiful little verse. This is a way that God calls us to love. Listen to me. Love is always going to be costly and it's always going to involve risk. See, the reason we close up and the reason we don't want to be vulnerable is because we're afraid of being hurt. That is the truth. And again, as I've already acknowledged, we've been hurt. But we'll look at how we get there in a little bit. Um, But for now, I just want to say that this is the type of love that Paul models for us and that I want us to say, okay, I want that. I want to do that. But not only was Paul, um, in the description of their conduct among them here, bold in declaring the gospel and gentle like a nursing mother, but there's kind of a, a counterbalance uh, to this first image of the mother, and that's of the father. So if you look at verses 11 and 12, he says, For you know how like a father with his children. So he's talking about mother. Now he says, We're like a father with his children. And we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom of glory. John MacArthur, in speaking of both these images here of the nursing mother and the tenderness there and then also of the caring father, uh, sums it up very simply and succinctly, I think. He says what Paul is calling for here is both gentle care and strong authority both gentle care and strong authority, that both of these things have to be part of our becoming mature in Christ, and both of these things have to be evident uh, in the church and in our care for one another, in our love for one another. And, and these things can go together, by the way. I think, I, let me say those phrases again, gentle care and strong authority. We think, ah, that, 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 that can't be. Yes, it can, because Christ was both, and Christ's spirit lives in us, and we are his body, And he wants to make these things evident in us. But in speaking here of of being like a supporting, caring father, supporting his children, he gives kind of three quick words here. Uh, In verse 12, he says, We exhorted each one of you, and we encouraged, and we charged you. Exhorted, encouraged, and in charge. The word exhorted is parakaleo. This is the word that's used in the upper room discourse, uh, mainly in John chapter 15 of the Holy Spirit. It's called the paraclete in the Greek, and it's this idea of one who comes alongside. You're not just shouting instructions, hey, do better. Run the race. Go harder. Try. It's, it's somebody coming alongside and walking with somebody. That's what a father does. Is we, don't just, we don't just shout commands, and in our discipleship, we don't just shout commands. Again, there is a nearness There's a willing to open up our life and to come into the lives of other people. Exhortation. Secondly, he just says encouraged. And this is very close to the the Greek word here. It's very similar to the the English word. Um, It just means to comfort with words. To comfort with words. Um, And this idea of encouraging here, I even just like the English word. Encourage is two, two little parts. And the first part just means in and then courage. What does encouragement mean? It means to put courage in somebody. That if you want to encourage them, think about how can I put courage into this person to give them hope, to help them 
to help them overcome. And third, he uses the word charge here, exhorted, encouraged, and charged. And this word charge in the Greek, it's the word martyremo, martyromai, it's where we get the word martyr. And so it's a very blood earnest charge or blood earnest witness. If I had to sum it up, it would be this, the word charge. It's a solemn, loving appeal. And for all those of you that, that, are, that are not just dads, but parents, tell me that this isn't how we interact with our kids, which is what Paul's describing here. Is that we try to solemnly and lovingly appeal to them to do the thing that is right. We don't just sit back and go, well, you know, whatever you, whatever you think. Yeah. Little child, go, go play in the street. I mean, I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to impose my will on yours. That would be unloving. No, not at all. We solemnly and lovingly appeal to them. And so just, just stop for a second now. And just, just hit pause. And again, before we move on uh, to looking at um, kind of the source of their sincerity, in other words, how, how Paul was able to do this, I just want you to think for a second about your life. And I also want you to think about our church, but in this way. I want you to understand that every single one of you plays a role in making us who we are. You do not get to choose whether or not you influence the culture of Mercy Hill Church. It's only a matter of how you will influence it. And what I, I want to call us to this morning is to examine our own lives to aspire to this. Because here's the thing, I don't think, I, I think even, it's not that I don't think this, the, these, these qualities don't exist in us, like I said earlier. But I think that all of us would say that we can grow in them. We can grow in being more bold in declaring the gospel even when we're afraid to. We can grow in being more transparent and vulnerable with other people in our relationships. And we can learn to be more supportive, like a caring father coming alongside, encouraging, uh, exhorting, and charging and charging others. Um, there's a lovely little verse in Romans chapter 12, just the first, the first part of it even. Uh, I like the way the NIV says it. It just says this. It's very simple. It says, love must be sincere. Right? Pretty simple. Love must be sincere. But I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. Many times my love can be insincere. Many times my love can just be superficial. But that's not the type of love that Christ calls us to. And so I want us to look here in the text, um, for the source of their sincerity. How did Paul do this? How did Paul get up after being beaten and stripped and thrown in prison? How did he get up and love the Thessalonian church in this way? To share the gospel again, to be transparent and vulnerable again, to be an encourager again and not make it all about him. I don't know about you, but when I've gone through a hard time, you know what I like to do? I like to lick my wounds and show everybody my boo-boo. Um, but Paul doesn't do that. How did he do it? Well, there's a little phrase here, and there, there's more than this, and I, I love this little phrase. My heart has been captivated by this little phrase this past week. I want you to go back to verse 2. And again, he says, Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated, at Philippi, as you know, here it is, we had boldness, and these three words, in our God. How did Paul do this? 
How did he just experience what he experienced in Philippi and to get up and to go to the next place and to not hold back in sharing the gospel, to not hold back in being vulnerable, to not hold back in encouraging, exhorting, and caring for this next group of people, knowing full well that what had just happened may happen again. And it did in some measure. Again, we looked last week, they, they got run out of town. There were still threats. Well, here's how. He had boldness. He loved in our God. Where do we have to go to find this type of love? Brothers and sisters, we have to go to God himself. He is the source. And you might be thinking, well, Eric, yeah, that's, I mean, of course, of course. But here's what I want to press back on. Do you? Do you? Do you go to God and strengthen yourself in him, in who he is, feeding yourself on his word, crying out for his Holy Spirit to fill you so that you can love like this? Or do you begin to just back off and just stiff arm? and just Because that's what we can do. Man's love is like that. We, we, see, here's the, here's the great fallacy, okay, that we believe, is we hear these commands that on the surface seem simple, like love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody know that one? Yeah, you grew up in Sunday, yeah. Love, love each other. Love, lo, love your neighbor as yourself. And, we, and here's the great fallacy. We go, got it. Yep. We cannot love each other, let alone our enemies, the way that God calls us to love them, apart from God himself. We must be strengthened in him. Where do we go when it's hard to love? Yes, and again, we, we might, we probably don't, um, we have not been beaten and imprisoned like Paul was, but let me just bring it down home, if you don't mind. But maybe in our case, we haven't been beaten, but we have a hard time loving our husband or loving our wife or loving our in-laws or loving a coworker, or loving our boss or loving a wayward child that has caused pain in our life or loving a church member that has offended us. Where do you go to be able to love, to not sit and to lick your wounds, to not show everybody your boo-boo but to be able to go on and to love them well, where are you going to go? Folks, there's no other source. You have got to go to God. And you've got to ask him again to fill your heart with his love to wash away the hurt and the pain. Unforgiveness is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal because Jesus said some really serious things about it. Like, if you don't forgive others, then neither will I forgive you. We try to skip over that one real quick, don't we? But the source of all of this is we have to go to God himself and stop thinking that we can deal with it on our own. There, there's, a, there's a story, you, you might not think it ties in, but I, I see the same idea. Because again, this idea of going to God for whatever it is that we need, but again, in this context, speaking of his, of his love, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, 
um, verses three through six, uh, David um, is still on the run from Saul. Uh, David is, you know, Saul's tried to kill him. Uh, so he's hiding out in kind of some enemy territory. He's just kind of a vagabond with his little band of brothers running around. Um, and they're off fighting a fighting um, for a righteous cause. And while they're gone, the Amalekites come and they steal all their stuff, including their women and children, and they take them off. And so, uh, but David was fighting the battles that he was supposed to be fighting at that time, doing the best he could with where he was at. Uh, But then they come back and, and now their women and children and all their stuff has been taken. And now David's, you know, band of boys that is with him, now they're mad at him. And it says that they're getting ready to stone him. And it says... In 1 Samuel 30, it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each of his sons and his daughters. But then get this next little phrase. I love this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Where did David find strength? In the Lord his God. And if you, you probably didn't turn there, but in your Bibles, that word Lord, it's all capital, letter, capital letters because it's the word Yahweh. David strengthened himself in Yahweh, the personal name for God, in Yahweh his God. That's where David went. He went to God himself. And again, let me, let me press it home because I feel like Maybe we're getting it, but we're not getting it. He didn't just come to church. He didn't just do another Bible study. He didn't just offer up a superficial prayer. He didn't just say the right things. He didn't just nod his head and say, oh, sure, no, no big deal. I forgive you. I, I forget about it. No, no, never mind. And then let the bitterness actually just kind of sit there. He, they strengthened themselves in the Lord their God. And they went to God to have God change their heart once again. David gets up then in in that story and he strengthens himself in Yahweh his God and he goes after him. He gets back what the enemy had stolen. He brings it all back. And and again, folks, I I know that this is, on some level, might be super simple, but my contention is we just don't do it. Not regularly. Because the longer I know I go in my Christian life, the more I see the propensity of my heart. It, it's, like, it's like the unforgiveness and the bitterness. It's, it's like my heart becomes more of a magnet for it. And all of a sudden I've got these things that are just sticking to me. And the only answer is to go again to the Lord our God. But can you say that? Can you say that Yahweh is your God? Can I share a little something with you? I shared this at my grandma's funeral. Josh, can you put that, that picture up there? I don't know if you can see this or not. I sent this to Josh this morning. I was thinking about it. But at my grandma's funeral, she passed away this past June. My grandma, I just, you know, at the, at the funeral, you know, she was a sinner like everybody else, but, um, it, you know, she was just a sweet lady. She was just a sweet lady. And, and that was the testimony of, of everybody that, that came through. Um, but I just, I thought about this, and I preached from this at her funeral, but I don't know if you can see there at the top, this is Psalm 23, I took this picture from her Bible. Um, but you'll see up there at the top, it says, the Lord 
and underlined is, is, like current, and my shepherd. I remember as I was flipping through a Bible, that just spoke to me that she, she didn't just know about a shepherd. At some point, I, and it, again, it warms my heart to think about my grandma sitting there one morning, probably doing her devotionals, or maybe it was during a sermon, or I, I don't know, but she just underlines, is my shepherd. And again, when it says the Lord there, you'll see it's also in all caps, that's Yahweh. Can, can you, can you say that about Yahweh? If you know Jesus, I'm telling you, you can. But do you go to Yahweh for your hurt, for your pain, for your anxiety, for your frustration? Or do you run to other sources? And again, I think it's really easy for us to go, well, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church. That's not what I asked. Do you go to Yahweh, your shepherd, and do you strengthen yourself in him? You can take that. You can take that down, Josh. Um, just asking another question about this in terms of you know, the source of their sincerity, how they loved like this, how they were able to have boldness, how they were able to be gentle like a mother, how they were able to be supportive like a father. You know, yeah, they went to God, but, but how do you do that? Well, I, you got to go to him. <laughs> You're like, okay, but how, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, I think we get a little clue if we pick the story back up, and I'm sure you guys have heard this before. Um, but if you pick the story back up in Acts chapter 16, Again, picking it right up in, in verse 24 of Acts chapter 16. After they've been thrown in prison, uh, you know, it says, Having received this order, he, the Philippian jailer, put them uh, into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Again, I don't know about you, but I know if I'm sitting in that prison, I'm going, this is so unfair. God, I was doing your work. I was trying to preach the word. I mean, I cast a demon out of a girl for crying out loud. In prison? Beating? Really? What were they doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. How do you practically go to God like Paul did, where he says he had boldness in our God? Like David did when it says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Here's what you do, okay? And there might be other things you could add to this, but I would argue that if this isn't there, then it's not happening. Here's what you do. You ready? You worship. You worship. You worship. And by worship here, Yes, we, we're, we're big here on Mercy Hill. In fact, the idea of worship is right in our mission statement that our mission here is to help every person continually worship Jesus by imparting grace with our words, works, gifts, and resources. So we believe that all of life is worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we offer bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. But what I'm talking about here is not just worship in the obedience sense, although that too is worship. The way that I'm talking about worship is I'm talking about you've got to sing. You've got to sing. Sometimes there is no other answer. And uh, I, think, uh, I think Scott, in the opening this morning, made the reference about feeling bad for the people in front of him when he's singing, you know, during me, which James is there. James is a very gracious guy, so I'm sure. 
Or maybe James had to go strengthen himself in the Lord his God this morning. As, as God, I'm just kidding. Um, but folks, I, I don't care if you can carry a tune in a bucket. You have to learn to cry out to God on your own, by yourself. I, I can't tell you how many times, even just in the midst of a, and again, I'm not saying that I model this great because, because I don't. And whenever I, like frustration and stuff piles up in my life, it's because I've stopped doing this. But I can't tell you how many times I've had to get up from my desk up at the hub, and if nobody's there, I'll walk out into the big room. And for me, it just helps me feel like I'm alone with God. I'll turn off the lights, and I'll just walk around, and i got to pray out loud. Or if Conrad's there, I, you know, um, not that I can't share with him, but like I'll, I'll, I'll get up, and I'll just go walk outside. And I go, you know, the people at Scenic RV will see this weird guy wandering through the <laughs> RV park. Someday. And I just, i got to get away, and i just got to talk to God, and i gotta, and I got to sing. And i got to worship and I think that, if I'm honest, in our, in our Western kind of philosophical, just give me the right answer and then I'll, I'll do it, minds, just kind of the way we're wired, I think we think this is silly. I think we think that just getting alone with God by ourselves and just crying out to him, well, yeah, that, that's kind of like that big old hug. <laughs> and we just don't, it makes us feel a little bit awkward. Folks, this is essential. We cannot live without it. It's how Paul and Silas did it in circumstances that were, that were extremely, extremely grave. You guys know, um, sometimes a, uh, it's not always young people, but how many of you have, like, have used, I'm sure we've all heard this, but you've heard the term like, oh, that person's on fire for the Lord. Anybody? Yeah? What, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by that phrase, they're on fire? Or sometimes, I, I'll hear like older saints say that about young people sometimes. Man, they're really, they're on fire. They're on fire for the Lord. Like they just got saved. And I agree, like when somebody gets saved, like they're, they're excited about Jesus. And I, I think that is an, an apt uh, description. That they're on fire for, for, for the Lord. But I think that if we had to like actually flesh that out and explain what, well, what, what is it that makes them on fire, is they're just not afraid to let it be known that they love Jesus. They express that love. Maybe through singing, maybe through raising their hands, maybe through sharing the gospel, I don't know. But they're just not afraid to be vulnerable and to let it out and to express their love and to express their love for God. And folks, we should all be on fire for the Lord. Amen? Every one of us. Because of, because of what he's done. So, this is kind of what love looks like. Is that they're bold in declaring the gospel. There's a gentleness. There's a vulnerability. Supportive like a caring father. How do you get it? You gotta go to God himself. You gotta sing. You gotta cry out to him. You gotta ask him to do in your heart what only he can do. And then very quickly here, just in closing, um, what, what's gonna be the outcome of their, of their ministry? So we looked at the source of their sincerity, but then the outcome of their ministry. Two things, real, real quick. 
and again, I, we don't have time to go to get down into the weeds of all the nuance of this, but number one, you're going to see God change people's lives. You will see God change people's lives. Look at verses 13 and 16. It says, and so, he says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Is that one of the most sure signs of authentic salvation in someone's life is their attitude towards the word of God, that it will be changed, that it no longer is just a book, but it is bread bread for their souls and that they need it. And when you receive the word of God, this is the change, this is the change that came into the Thessalonians' life is that Paul didn't hold back, but they had boldness in their God to declare the gospel, to be vulnerable in their lives, to exhort and to encourage and to care for because they found strength in their God and they saw people's lives change. Let me... Let me Tell you something, folks, some of the, uh, this is so true, I want you to get this. Some of the greatest opportunities for ministry, some of the greatest fruit that you will see in your life will come when you are most ready to quit or when you're just about ready to quit. And again, I say that because Paul, I think, would have had every reason to quit, but he didn't. And again, it's not because of him, it's God. And look at verse 13. We thank God constantly for this. Why is he thanking God? Because God's the one that did the work, not Paul. But Paul didn't give up. We thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, you accept it as it really is. The word of God. And I just want to ask some of you this morning, are you ready to quit? Are you ready to give up? Has discipleship become hard? Has it become difficult? Do you have a lot of bitterness, frustration? Things that people have added to your life? Again, I'm not minimizing any of it, and I'll, listen, I'm not arguing that it's not real. It probably is. But will you just strengthen yourself in the Lord your God this morning? Because God isn't done with you yet. Lastly here, the outcome of their ministry, not only did they see lives change, and this might, hang, hang with me here because you're like, Eric, you're really discouraging me as you're wrapping up this sermon, okay? But here's a second outcome of their ministry, not only that they saw lives changed, but they saw Satan challenge their plans. Again, if you noticed here down at the bottom, and again, I know I'm taking big, big chunks here, and we're skipping over some things, but look at verses 17 and 18. It says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. See, Paul didn't just want to do ministry from a distance. He wanted to be near. So he tried to come near, and Satan's going, well, man, look at what happened last time. I had him beat up in Philippi. That didn't matter. And, you know, look what happened in, in Thessalonica. And so now Paul is, is gone, but he wants to come back. But now Satan is hindering them. It, it's just a secular quote. <coughs> um, but I think it somewhat applies here. It's by Winston Churchill. He said, do you have enemies? Well, good. That means that at least sometime... In your life, you stood for something. 
At least sometime in your life, you stood for something. And brothers and sisters, if we stand and strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God um, and have boldness to share the gospel, share our heart, to be vulnerable, to share not just the gospel but our lives, to be like that nurturing mother and father, we're going to have a very real enemy that comes against us. But that's okay because we're standing for what God wants us to stand for. And again, I, I, I look at Paul's situation here and I go, seriously? After all they've been through? Now Satan's going to come against them? But here's the thing. If you remember back when you know, we, we just looked at, they, they were beaten, they were opposed. How'd they find strength? They cried out to God and in their weakness, God was made, God was made strong. Why does, the, why does our Heavenly Father allow the enemy to stand against us at times? To drive us back to him. To drive us back to him. I don't know, this, this is a quote, I, I don't know who said it first. A lot of different guys claim to have said it first, but I don't know who it really is. But it's very true. It just says, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. Did you get that? We say that we want to be dependent upon God. But if dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. And God wants to work in our life to bring about this brokenness. Worship team, you can come up. We're going to close here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, again, Paul, this isn't just a Thessalonians thing. This is all over. But Paul said, we have this treasure the gospel, God in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You're like, okay, well, I want, I got it in jars of clay. Let it be, let me be broken. Well, here's what it looked like. It says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. Do you know that Paul said that? How many of you have ever, ever been perplexed? Like, I don't, I don't know. What, yeah. It's discipleship. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, we're not destroyed. He says, but we're always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we, who are, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in your mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. And again, I just want to say this morning that um, if you feel like giving up, if you feel like your heart has become a magnet for bitterness, for frustration, for unforgiveness. Maybe God is allowing that to drive you to him. Maybe you're feeling all the weakness of those things and the overwhelming sense of those things. Allow it to drive you to him. Strengthen yourself in Yahweh, in Yahweh your God. I want you to stand with me, please. We're gonna take communion this morning.
but I still just want to wrap up here, and I won't be long because I made you stand, so I promise. But I just want you to think a little bit this morning, again, just about your life and about the limits of your love and about the limitless love of Christ that he has displayed for you. And as we come this morning to the Lord's table, which represents the pinnacle of his love for us, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As we, as we come and as we remember his act of love this morning, I just want us to be keenly aware of our love for one another. And listen, I, if, if there's anyone here, but even more likely anybody outside of this room this morning, and you are holding on to bitterness, you are holding on to unforgiveness, you have stopped being vulnerable because you've been hurt. As you come this morning and as you take of the bread and the cup, I want you to bring that hurt to the cross. And I want you as much as you know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God and to ask him to be at work in you that we would all be willing to share not only the gospel despite what it costs but our very lives with one another. Does that make sense? Look at the love of Christ for us. If you're helping serve communion,